Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of St. John, chapter 18? This coming uh, Friday is what is traditionally known as Good Friday, and we will have here in our sanctuary uh, the communion elements throughout the day. We would love to welcome you to come and spend time with the Lord on this day of reflection and thanks, giving honor to Him for his sacrifice. Um, and uh, of course, next Sunday being the day we celebrate resurrection will be a great time, so we welcome you. Tonight, 5.30 prayer class, but we're going to be focusing again on uh, this upcoming journey to the nation of Brazil. Next Sunday won't be uh, a prayer class due to the Easter holiday. And uh, couple days after that the teams launch out from here so we really need to pray for uh, God to accomplish what he wants in South America because it's going to impact all of Central and South America and Mexico and hopefully have some impact on the United States so um, don't miss that um, in this passage in John chapter 18 we want to look at something that transpired with Pontius Pilate. And um, I have a number of things to say about this, and I believe that the Lord is going to direct us accordingly. So John chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was early. They themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then said Pilate unto them, Take you him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You said, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, and every one that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but you have custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Interesting. Now, just some things about this passage. 
before we come to what God truly put on my heart to enunciate regarding what the Lord said to Pilate. You know that from the reading of the Gospels, there are a number of accounts of this episode. And in the midst of those accounts, you have a story about Pilate's wife telling him, leave this man alone because I was troubled much in dreams about him. You need to just sidestep this and don't do anything with it. He obviously didn't honor that word that came in the night. Uh, there was an episode that Mary obviously told Luke about how that he was first brought, the Lord was first brought to Pilate, then sent over to Herod, and then Herod sent him back. And through that process, Herod and Pilate, who before that time had enmity with one another, became what the scripture says is friends. You have you have a number of things that are said that people have mocked over the years. For instance, one of the passages says that in the, in the response to Pilate, Jesus did not say a word or a rhema. But the other passages have the Lord saying a number of things. But none of that is contradictory. None of that is an indication that the scriptures are in error or that their, um, their, their tellings are in some ways indicative of a fault in the transcription. You know, there's so many ways that the enemy tries to destroy the validity of Scripture. I remember when I was in seminary, there was a course that I took about that very thing and, um, and how that over the years, the, the scriptures have been maligned and ridiculed. Um, there are those who say that even in this day, that because the scriptures were uh, written many years, officially written many years after the Lord rose into heaven, that they aren't accurate. There was one account that says that even the Greek transcriptions are not really accurate because Jesus didn't understand Greek, and that's just ridiculous. And why I say this is that the Jewish mindset had already transitioned into providing their scriptures into Greek. 200 years before the Lord, the Septuagint was released so that all throughout the known world, the Jewish people could understand Greek the Greek scriptures, because that was the, the language of the business world. That was the language of philosophy. That was the language wherein people from many different countries, much like England, English is today, could interact with each other. And in fact, you know, archaeological discoveries have, dis have determined that right beside Nazareth was a major Greek city known Sephora. And through it was the trading, and through it was... Uh, a lot of different um, uh, ways that uh, materials were transported from the east going to the west and from the west going to the east. And if Jesus did work at all with his father Joseph, they had to have understood Greek 
to be able to communicate with the people that would be hiring them and would be telling them what they wanted to have done from a, a crafting, a craftsmanship aspect. But see, these kind of statements are just tossed out there, and uh, it would make you think that, that um, the Scripture is just nonsense. In fact, there's one school of thought today that says that that very thing is true, and it's, it's ludicrous for anybody to study the Greek text because it's not literal anyway. And you can just, most of these things were just, you know, these, these accounts were just remembered years later and uh, written down. And so none of them are really inspired. That's ridiculous as well. You know, I can remember things that were said to me 20, 25 years ago, and I remember them very clearly. I remember exactly what was said. And you, you can't tell me that when the Bible says that Mary held these things in her heart, that she did not know exactly what was said. And, and so there's just a great argument about in the world today about whether the Scriptures are really valid and even the, the, the accounts, because the four Gospels deliver different variations of it. You know, some would even say that none of these things about Pilate are true because it says right here that they did not enter in. How did they get this information? Well, you know what? You, you, take the, you take the synergy of all of these words, and they all fit together perfectly. And, and you know, I know that the Spirit of God preserved these Scriptures for us. I know that they are the Word. And, um, you know, the first thing the enemy would try to do when he wants to bring deception is to say, you can't touch, you can't trust the Word. You, you just can't trust it. That, that's what he said to Eve. That's what he said to Eve, has God said. And um, he said, well, you know what? He may have said that, but he didn't really mean that because he knows that if you do this and this, you'll be like him. There's always an attack against the Word. And this is why in the wilderness, you know, Satan brought the Word. And Jesus had to answer with the Word. If the enemy can try to bring doubt regarding the world, word, we have no course to stand. I mean, if, if you, I remember reading um, in, that, in that class, in fact, I did a, a, not a thesis paper, but a, but a paper with two other brothers who were pastors. One of them became a district superintendent in the assemblies, and the other one, a uh, very knowledgeable young man. And we worked together on this thing, and one of the one of the things that we studied was how the Catholics in, in the year 1911 decided that there was an attack against <laughs> what they believed the Scripture was and, and with that, um, the Latin Vulgate. And, and they were trying to determine how they could keep their priests from going off course from the Scripture. And, and I know that there are a lot of things that the Catholics do, you know, regarding the Pope and his words. That had a lot more credence than it does now. But just the Scriptures themselves. And they made, they made uh, rules and laws for the priests that they could not be schooled in some of the more liberal ways because they felt that heresy and doctrine, doctrinal error were coming in from some of these the, these veins and schools. 
And, and it worked for a little while. It, it worked for a little while. It was at that same point that Christianity was reeling from Dar Darwinism and some liter liberal uh, aspects. So both the Protestants and the Catholics at the turn of the 1900s was, were, were battling this thing. And, um, you know, I, I suspect that we all have to pray that and thank God for giving us the word. I, I know that he has carefully and meticulously preserved what we have. And we, we should not be made to feel ashamed or, or, or step away from our studies of the scriptures because it is the living word. And um, that one of the things the enemy will try to do and he always does this, and he's doing it right now, is to try to get people to doubt the validity of the word because if he can take that away, then it's all up for opinion. You know, whatever experience, whatever revelation, you know, it's just all out there. And anything can be true. And when you do that, then you open yourself up to what we used to sign a pledge to, to, to stand against, ecumenicalism which says that there's truth in everything, and you can just draw it all in. Well, you know what? That's the quickest road to hell you can be on because everybody has an opinion, and every, every, every demonic doctrine has an opinion. And, you know, we just need to recognize that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, there are those who say that, that this business, we're, we're talking about the, the, the Advent, we're talking about the, this Passion Week, we're talking about the sacrifice of Christ, we're talking about the resurrection. There are lots of Christians that don't believe in the resurrection. What they do on Sundays, I don't know. There are lots of Christians who don't believe that Jesus really died on the cross. And that if he did die, he was not really a man. There are lots of Christians who believe that Jesus dying on the cross was not for the purpose of redeeming mankind or, or offering a sacrifice for sin. I read an article this past week that said, very emphatically, from a Christian viewpoint, or what is called a Christian viewpoint, that it makes no sense to think that Jesus came and gave his life for something that God wanted to give to everybody anyway. God is not confused. So Jesus would not come to sacrifice himself on a cross for sin. He was just showing love. That makes no sense at all. The scripture does not validate that in any way. But there's a large swath of people who believe that. And I wonder... If you believe that, why do you even fool with going to church? Why do you even carry a Bible? If you don't believe it's real, if you don't believe that Jesus came to sacrifice himself so that we might be cleansed from sin, it's all a demonic subplot. But it is really deceptive, obviously, and we, we need to stand, stand absolutely on behalf of what God has given us as saints to do. He has opened his scripture. He, that's the one thing 
that I'm very grateful for, that when God changed our hearts and put us on this pathway of being saints, the one thing he said right at the beginning to us is that everything I'm going to lead you into is going to be established in the Word of God. I had to have that in my heart. You had to have that. And through that, he has guided us into the truths that are eternal. We must stand upon the living Word of God. We must know that what God provided for us is true. Now, I recognize that there are idiosyncrasies. There are certain glitches between the, the different texts, the Byzantine text, the critical text, the Coptic text, but those are minimal. Those are just minimal here and there, and it's just an issue of proof text. I, I read someone who, uh, who was trying to debunk the Scripture, and they even used this, which is kind of funny to me. You know, when, when the King James was being translated and, and printed, one of the versions of it that was put out was called the, the Adultery Bible because it said, Thou shalt commit adultery. And it was just, a, 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 <laughs> if you had one of those, it's worth a lot of money. But they went out and tried to find all of them and got rid of them. And, you know, there were people in the Church of England that were saying to have one was a cardinal sin. To me, I, I think anybody that's confused by that, anybody that thinks that disqualifies the Bible is, is just looking for trouble, you know? You can, look, you can find trouble if you look for it, you know? You, you can even make up trouble and, and say you found it. But the point is that we stand here on this triumphant day and we look at this passage and we see there's a, there's a stereophonic view of this throughout the Scripture. And it does not contradict itself. Jesus did not say a rhema. He didn't preach to Pilate. He didn't bring some startling revelation about something that no one had ever seen about why he was there. He didn't do it. Read what he said. He answered what the Jews said. He asked Pilate, are you asking this or are you just parroting what the Jewish leader said? And that was an important thing because if Pilate had asked for this, think about this. If Pilate, the Roman uh, man from Gaul that was in charge of the Roman influence there, if Pilate had asked for this, I can guarantee you Jesus would have said something further to him. But Pilate stepped back and said, you know what? I'm not a Jew. I'm just saying what your own people are saying. And that sculpted the response of the Lord. So he didn't give a rhema. The Scripture says he did not give a rhema. So I have to believe that the Scripture meant what it said. But some people say he answered not a word, and then they say, see, see, look at all those red words there. He did say words. That's not what the Scripture said. It said he did not release a rhema to Pilate because Pilate wasn't interested in a rhema. Pilate was only interested in getting done with this thing. His wife had already told him, stay away from it. And, um, but what is said here is very interesting. And what I said I was going to streamline this, and I am. 
I haven't started the streamline yet. <laughs> that stream hadn't begun to flow. Verse 37 says this. When Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, you've said that I am a king. To this end was I born. Now, when you look at that phrase, some of you, and, and you'll, look, you'll look on your little handheld device, and, and you know, you can tell that the handheld device is, is good. I use it all the time. I use it primarily when I travel. It's great. But this is a really odd way of saying it. In fact, to this end I was born is kind of a weird translation because it uses the term genomai twice. Now we know what genomai is. That's, that's the root of diversities of tongues. And it speaks of beginnings. And so when it says, to this end was I born, it, it uses genomai on, on the was I born with a couple of other participles. And it, it, it even speaks one translation that could be says, and through this beginning, I came through her. It's, it's very interesting. But the, the first part of it is this, I, you said I'm a king, and I came to initiate this. And because of being born through her, it is initiated. Jeremiah is, is used twice in this. So it says, to this end, I was born. And that's, I, I can understand how you wouldn't really know how to translate that in, in a concise way. But for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Why is he talking about kingship? Why is he talking about I came to demonstrate kingship and to make possible kingship? Why is he talking about truth then? Because the Bible says grace and truth came through Christ. And the Bible says in the Old Testament that it is the privilege of kings to search out the hidden things. God came to this earth through Jesus Christ to provide a way for us to be cleansed from our sins and to be redeemed or brought back to God the Father. The Bible also tells us that Jesus was serving to fulfill the will of his Father and he was the only begotten, the firstborn son. He came to pattern for us what we, would, what we should become when we are redeemed to the Father, and that is sonship. We also know from the plethora of Scripture that that pathway of sonship allows us to become prophetic. In fact, the gift of the church was that the sons and daughters would prophesy but that we would be prophetic, that we would be priests, and that we, through the process and the ordaining of God, would be the ecclesia, uh, the, the governmental entity on earth, but that we would function in some ways with great authority representing the kingdom. And, and so Jesus is saying here to Pilate, to the Roman ruler of that area, a very troubling hot spot that Pilate was put in. Pilate from Gaul, or what is 
largely France now, was there. He didn't really want to be there, but he was there. He was representing Rome, and Jesus was speaking to the kings of the earth about what it meant for him to come. He said, you brought up the name king, and this, this genomai, I was come to initiate, to demonstrate and to initiate this, and I came through her to initiate what it should be. That's very interesting. So you think about to this end, and you just think about an end, but the term there is beginnings. The term there is beginnings. And I don't want to make too much of this, but, but for me, that prospect of seeking after his truth is our privilege. He brought grace and truth. And as we walk in God, God allows us to understand his truths through the spirit of truth. I don't want any truth that is not brought by the spirit of truth. I don't want any collection of opinions that is not in the timing of the Almighty God. In the time that he reveals things to us, it has for 20 plus years now been specific to where he has us. And it has so wonderfully built upon step by step, his meticulous training for us to be sons and for us to represent him in the world and for us to go and make disciples. I don't want any truth, anything that was hidden that is no longer hidden. I don't want any truth that God has not ordained in his time. So this discussion of kings and beginnings, why Jesus came and truth is all wrapped up in this one verse. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? And at that point, it was done. Now, you read this. One says that Herod's soldiers or his men of war begin to ridicule Jesus. Another passage says that he was sent to the praetorium. Um, and that would have been Pilate's uh, ruling soldiers because the, the praetoria was that which in Rome governed and watched over the protection of Caesar or the ruler. But it was also then passed along that whoever was representing Caesar in a state like this would have a similar guard to protect the leader and the rule of Rome. You, you can't be, it can't be both. It can't be Herod's soldiers and Pilate's soldiers. And, you know, Herod would have probably stayed away from this because the Jews were making it very plain. I'm not slamming the Jews. I'm just saying that's the one the Scripture said did this. They said, we don't want to be accused of killing. So they surrendered this to Rome. And the Romans were probably the ones who put the purple robe on him and put the crown of thorns and gave him a reed and then beat him with the reed on the head and mocked him. And then it was the Romans that supervised him carrying that cross. Um, and um, it was all for the purpose of 
demonstrating it, it, right after this what is truth business and their rejection of the Lord being released and Barabbas uh, being released instead. Um, you know, there's so much there's so much to this. Right after this discussion of truth and kingship, you've got the purple robe, which represents sonship and truth. You've got the crown of thorns. You've got the reed, which represents the jealousy of God and that key point from the right hand, which is where that reed was put, and the measurings of the temple. All of this is kingship. All of this is more than symbolism. All of this is what Jesus came to do. So we have this privilege of walking as sons because our Lord paid the price for us. We accept his sacrifice and our sins are washed away and we are then redeemed to God. It wasn't just a show of love. It wasn't just, oh, this is, you know, you shouldn't judge people. Uh, you know, God's against this scapegoat business. So you don't want to judge people. You just want to walk in love. That's, that's, boy, does that shortchange the sacrifice of Jesus. And it doesn't even begin to access what actually happened here. How could someone be presented with the privilege of walking with the Lord, representing the Father at His throne as a Son, to be demonstrating kingdom authority as an ecclesia in His church, and to be guided in the, the, the continuing teaching of the Spirit of truth. How could somebody have that, be operative in the heavens and welcoming the kingdom to earth, and say, nah, none of that, that's not really right. Um, we just need to walk around, let what happen happens. I just can't, I can't fathom it. It stuns me. You know, Ava was talking about somebody who was brain dead for five minutes. We need to start praying for the church that's brain dead on this thing. Because God paid the price for us to walk as victors. And I refuse to allow that message to be lost. I will not abandon it. And as long as I stand here with you, the Saints Network is not going to abandon it. And the places we go into nations that are hungry, like the ones that we're going into this year, well, they're not going to abandon it. For this cause, for this genomai, Jesus came. He was born of a woman. He lived his life on earth, fully man, fully God. No quibbling there. He gave himself on a cruel cross. And the sins of the world came upon him so that we might be free. He is God's sacrificial lamb. And we declare that in every ear that's hearing it today. He rose again, triumphing over all the works of hell that tried to snuff him out. And so that report is forever settled in heaven. And we're not going to accept any report other than that. We're not going to whittle it away and say, oh, you know, that didn't mean that, or you can't trust these reports. We're going to say, yes, Lord, we believe.
And we're, we recognize to this end, to this Genemai, you were born of a woman, that we might walk with you, King of kings, Lord of lords. And this, this truth shall prevail above all others. Praise God. So if for this cause, if for this Genemai, he came into the earth, we must also embrace walking as sons of the Most High God and submitting ourselves to the ongoing revelation of His truth from His Word and from that precious Spirit. Father, I thank You that You sent Your Son And he is with us today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. I thank you that your presence is filling the hearts and lives of all of these dear ones in this place and all of the precious ones who are so faithful to join together with the saints' family every week. I pray that you will bless them today with a further understanding, a deeper appreciation of what you came to give them. This is not a mournful looking back and lamenting your sacrifice. This is an appreciation in the depth of our heart of your sacrifice and a desire to not let it go unfulfilled. We want all that you came into this world to begin for us. For this beginning, I came to be born, to be begun through a woman. For this beginning, to walk with you in your authority, Prince of Peace, and to know your truths, as your spirit would guide us into. Let that be released to this people. Where sin has abounded, Lord, let this grace much more abound in your people. We release the spirit of grace into your people. We receive, we receive that spirit of grace and we release it in a greater dimension in this hour. Grace that overcomes. Grace that liberates. Grace that brings us into new horizons in you. Grace wherein we are established, saved. Grace wherein we are led forth. Let that great grace come. And we thank you for this, Lord. Now I speak a blessing over every one of these people that have gathered here. Those that are joining with us, um, bless them in every way. But for these ones that came and sat here in this colder sanctuary today, <laughs> give them a double portion. And uh, I'm still honoring my word. It's streamlined. It's, it's, it's quick. But don't let, don't let your blessing be streamlined. Let it abound 
And we thank you for this, Father, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Again, thanks, thanks for being here. I'm, again, I'm so sorry that it, um, it is as chilly as it is in here, but um, it's just a glitch. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.